The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, welcome those of you who are not in when we started the service. We are in Mark. We're in our third message in a series in Mark called Good and Gracious King. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 2. Just want to say as we open um, that I absolutely love Alex and Sarah Miller, and I love that they're going to Germany, but there's kind of some sand in my eye when I think about them going to Germany. It's Alex's freshman year here with TJ Greeson when they were at UMHB, started a basketball ministry for kids in low-income housing that we continue to do today. Sarah's working our children's ministry. They're just so faithful, and now... We have the privilege to faithfully send them. And so the Millers who are going to be out there, just so you know, they need about five families who can give $200 a month, 10 families who can give $100 a month, and 10 families who can give $50 a month. So if you fit one of those categories, if you're someone who can pray for them, go talk to them after service, and we get the great opportunity to bless them. You can also learn more about Germany in our TBC Go at Home. Information about that is on our website if you want to learn more about what the Leesons are doing in Germany. So at TBC, you you might be new here, we teach on a team, I get the privilege of leading that team and you get the privilege of hearing from lots of voices and in May, you'll hear from lots of voices. One of those voices I wanna tell you about, May 16th, Dr. Mark Bailey is coming. Mark Bailey was the president, is now the chancellor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He'll be teaching from Mark 3 in our series be an excellent message, so you don't wanna miss that. It's a great opportunity two weeks from today. Uh, today you are stuck with me. Um, I want to tell you as we look today about a guy named Gus. Danny Cunningham met Gus. And Gus was staying with him for a bit when he was here. And Gus was a Norwegian missionary who, before the Iron Curtain fell, would get on a riverboat and go down into the Soviet Union and was sharing the gospel in communist um, USSR, communist Russia, And Danny asked, well, what was that like? And he said, man, it was really easy because as a Norwegian, they hadn't met many Norwegians because of Soviet occupation. And so I would go in and I was like a unicorn. Everybody wanted to talk to me. He said, well, how did you get to the gospel? And Gus said, well, I got there quickly. I just asked them this question. Do you want your sins forgiven? And they did. They did. Everybody knew they needed their sins forgiven. And and today, as we look in Mark, it's a question people still wrestle with. Some in culture don't even understand the need. But the, the chief question of this text is who can forgive sins? See, Jesus has announced that the kingdom of God is coming. In Mark 1, he's begun to call followers or disciples to himself, and he's begun to do miracles to show that he's the king. Well, in this kind of his first of many confrontations with with religious leaders of the day, scribes and Pharisees, he's going to reveal or state this truth that he is actually the king. So let's read together Mark 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say, rise, take up your bed and walk, go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before all of them. And they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Well, Jesus, isn't it true? We've never seen anyone like you. And in this room, we come all at different places, some even hearing the words going, yeah, I really need my sins forgiven. Others wondering if you can forgive their sins. Others of us who maybe have forgotten the significance of this beautiful reality in our lives that we live as the forgiven people of God. So help us to consider what this means today and how our lives are altered by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a wonderful passage with lots of messages in it. And if we're not careful, we might think that the main point of this passage is the faith of this guy's friends. And their faith really matters. We're going to talk about it. But that's not the main point of the passage. The central question is this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is going to answer that question and we're going to see that he does that in this text by preaching the word, by proclaiming forgiveness, by perceiving people's thoughts, and by performing two miracles. So let's start with this. Jesus preaches the word. Verse 2. Many were gathered together. He's back in Capernaum. He's been traveling and he comes back and word gets out that he's there. And so many people gather, there's not room. People are outside listening in the windows. It's a big crowd, standing room only. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And the reason Jesus was preaching the word to them is because that's what he did. That was central to his message. Twice in, in Mark, we've seen that preaching is really going to matter to Jesus. In Mark 1.14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Later on in Mark 1, rising very early in the morning, Jesus departed. He went to be with the Father. See, he had cast a demon out of a person. So people are bringing friends, family members to him so that they can be healed. They're crowding in around him. His disciples find him and they said, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says in verse 38, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that's why I came out. Central to, to TBC is that we teach the word and central to the message of Jesus. He was preaching the word. He was declaring the gospel. That's what the scripture is about. It's about the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and take victory over death and sin for all who believe for the glory of the father and Jesus Christ loved the word and therefore we love the word. How can a young man keep his way pure by 
living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I run in the path of your commands and there I find my delight. Your word is like a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. Your word makes the wise simple. So Jesus is preaching the word and we wanna be in the word as people of the word. And so he's preaching the word and people are eating it up and in a house that looks something like this in Capernaum, not far from the sea, the people couldn't get to him. And in a house in Capernaum in the first century, it would have looked similar. There would have been stairs to the roof where maybe people dried their fishing nets or, or maybe they sat together and visited or maybe they ate a meal on a really nice evening and you could see the sun set to the west as they're up on top of the Sea of Galilee. It would have been a beautiful, beautiful sight. And the roof would have been made of dirt, packed in mud on top, a foot to two foot uh, thick. And then below that, there would be sticks that were laid across boards. And so as Jesus is preaching the word, these friends come in and they can't get near him because of the crowd. They can't even get in the house. And so these friends want their friend to get to Jesus so desperately. They dig a hole at least the size of a pallet that a paralyzed man would be sitting on or laying on. They dig through the mud and the dirt. They pull up the sticks. They dig up the boards. Can you imagine? There's Jesus, the Son of God, teaching and dust begins to fall and dirt begins to fall and people wonder what is going on and then light beams begin to shine through. Just like in the beginning of this ministry, light is shining into a dark place in ways like people have never seen before. Then they lower their friend down. See, their friend needed to get to Jesus and he couldn't make it on his own. So these friends were persevering in their efforts. When they couldn't get through the door, they went through the roof. They were creative in their methodology. They were willing to dig in the dirt to get their friend there. They were faithful in their friendship. They knew their friend needed to get to Jesus. As I thought about these friends, I, I thought about lots of friends of mine, but two in particular kept coming to mind when I thought about people who have friends, they want to get to Jesus, but the, it's hard for their friends to get to Jesus. So I wanna tell you about these two ladies. These two ladies, so you'll see on your right is Linda Strom. And Linda Strom runs a ministry called Discipleship Unlimited. And Linda will tell you it's not just Linda. She's got a great team, but Linda is amazing. I don't want to point her out, but she's sitting on the fifth row right here in a blue sweater, okay? <laughs> Linda's amazing. And, and, and the other lady, I don't know, she, Karen, are you here? Is Karen Wistron here? Right there. Karen is as well, right back there. And so these ladies have these amazing ministries. Linda and her team, they work with incarcerated ladies. And because of their life situation, because of the place they are, it is hard for them to get to Jesus. But Linda and her team, they love them. They share Christ with them. They share time with them. They show the love of Christ to them and they help them to get to Jesus. They dig through the roof. They carry the pallet. They do whatever it takes to get these ladies to Jesus. Karen's ministry, Hope Pregnancy Center, she and her team, they work with ladies who found themselves pregnant. They were not planning on being pregnant and many of them are considering abortion. 
and they help these ladies come to know Jesus. They're in a spot in society where it's hard for them to get to Jesus. And they help them get to Jesus. They also help many of them choose a different route than abortion. But I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it plainly. TBC, we are anti-abortion. We are pro-life. We are against abortion. We are pro-life. But here's what I want you to hear. More than people who are considering abortion need to not have an abortion, they need their sins forgiven. That's not a light thing to say, and I understand what I'm saying, and I mean it. We are anti-abortion and we are pro-life, but what they need more than anything is the gospel of Jesus. And then even when people have chosen abortion, they need the gospel of Jesus. And there are pro-life ministries that make it easy for people to get to Jesus. And then there are some that make it hard for people to get to Jesus. And see, Hope Pregnancy Center, they are digging in the dirt. They're carrying the pallet. They're saying it's so important for you to get to this person that no matter your life circumstance, no matter what you've done, discipleship unlimited, no matter where you found yourself, no matter your wounds, no matter what society might say about you, I've got to get you to Jesus. See, there's nothing too difficult for him because he can forgive your sins like he forgave mine. And if he can forgive mine, he can forgive anybody's. Jesus preached the word, but then Jesus proclaimed sins forgiven. I could tell you about a hundred more people like Karen and like Linda, but they're two of my favorites. So I told you about them. See, some people do all they can for their friends to get to Jesus because they recognize his worth and ability, but not everybody does. And in fact, not everybody in the room in this passage did. Jesus preached the word. Jesus proclaimed the forgiveness of sins. This guy's lowered through the roof and he's thinking Jesus is gonna tell him you can get up and walk. He's gonna heal him. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, can you imagine, depending on the guy's attitude, he... He might have just said, well, go, okay, but, right? I don't, I don't know, but your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, but not everybody was amazed. A lot of people there would have been bothered. In fact, that's the truth about the religious leaders. Jesus perceived people's thoughts. Some of the scribes were sitting questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this, that he's blaspheming? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving their thoughts says, why do you ask this? What's, what's more difficult to say, take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven? Now you ask most Americans, they'd go, oh, take up your bed and walk. That's more difficult. But only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Now for Jesus, neither is more difficult than the other because he's God. He can do both, right? He can do both. There's a word I want us to look at that we might just skip over. I don't want us to miss it. Verse six, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. 
So it's a standing room only place. It's packed in. People are crunched in. People are trying to get in and can't get in. And the people who knew the scripture better than anybody are sitting there. They're sitting in a seat of honor because they're sitting, they're spread out. More people can't get in. And here is the reality. The scribes and the Pharisees, because they knew the scripture, they should have been looking for the Messiah, looking for the king, looking for the one who was going to come. But the one they were looking for wasn't good and gracious like Jesus was. They should have been running through the streets of Capernaum going, hey, he's, he's here. You got to come see this guy. You're not going to believe this. We've never seen anything like this, but they're sitting wondering, well, wait, what's he doing? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Some people make it really easy for their friends to get to Jesus, and some people make it really hard. See, when Christians are unashamed of politics but ashamed of the gospel, we make it hard for our friends to get to Jesus. When Christians conflate their personal politics with the gospel, we make it hard for people to get to Jesus. When Christians who care for the poor and speak about justice for the poor, but don't speak about the gospel of Jesus as the way and the only way, they make it hard for people to get to Jesus. Unforgiving people make it hard for their friends to get to Jesus. Apathy about our responsibility to speak the gospel makes it hard for people to get to Jesus. Now you might hear and go, well, wait, 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 Chase, God's sovereign, right? So what do you you mean make it hard? God is sovereign. And God has sovereignly chosen that the means through which people come to Jesus is the teaching or the preaching of the gospel and the hearing and believing by faith to trust him. So when we have no mind of compassion or hospitality toward others, we make it hard for people to get to Jesus. When we're consumed with inconsequential activities, we make it hard for people to get to Jesus. And hear me, culture really, really wants us to be consumed with inconsequential activities. And when we do, we make it hard for people to get to Jesus. When we live in the fear of missing out on all the world is offering We make it hard for people to get to Jesus. When dads leave their families, they make it hard for their kids to get to Jesus. When we embrace this kind of self-actualization, I'm enough, self-help talk of all the self-help gurus of the day, we make it hard for people to get to Jesus. The scribes did make it hard for people to get to Jesus, but at least they asked the right question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's the right questions. Proverbs says, you can't save your brother from his sin. You can't ransom another man. It's far too costly. But God, God can forgive sins. In the Old Testament, we could look over and over and over at the forgiveness of God as the one who can take sins away. A couple of verses, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He is forgiving. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God can forgive sins. He had told Israel he would cast their sins as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 130, 3 and 4, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Nobody. But with you, There is forgiveness. Therefore, you are to be feared. They're perceiving in their minds 
Why would he say this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and Jesus says, right, right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's correct. But, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. And he did. He did. Now, listen, it's an amazing thing that he says to this guy, take up your bed and walk. And he's showing something there. But there's this little phrase that's really, really important. It might just sound like he's calling himself a human when he says it, but he's saying something more in verse 10 when he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, the Jews were waiting for someone called the son of man to come. Hundreds of years before Christ came to earth, the Israelites were taken into captivity. They went into Babylon and there are kind of four guys that are talked about in this Old Testament book, Daniel. Daniel and then these three Hebrew children and Daniel and these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were there in Babylon in exile and were used to show the greatness of God. Well, one of the ways Daniel was used is through visions and he told of his visions and in one of his visions... In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, here's what he says. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is God, and he was presented before God. So when the son of man is presented before God, what happens? He was given dominion or authority. He was given a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Kingdoms come and go, but not this one. Authorities come and go, but not this one. So when he says, so that you may know the son of man has authority, he's saying, so that you may know I'm the Messiah, so that you may know I'm the long awaited one, so that you may know I'm the king God promised, so that you may know I am the son of man and I've been given authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. And he did. He did in front of a lot of eyewitnesses. See, in Mark chapter one, God declares Jesus's identity and then John declares Jesus's identity and then demons have declared Jesus's identity. This is the first time in the book of Mark, Jesus declares his identity. He does the miracle so they will know that Jesus is the son of man. So when we act with compassion, when we act with kindness, when we care for others, when we give to the needs of others, this summer you're gonna hear about Backpack Buddies, something that we've partnered with for years and years and years to care for kids in our community. We do it so people will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and he will forgive theirs just as he's forgiven ours. Jesus Christ can change your life that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. See, Jesus can change your life no matter how paralyzed you think you are. There, there's someone that I dearly love who is paraplegic. And 16 years ago, he was in an accident that 
has rendered him without the use of his legs. But here's, here's the truth. He was paralyzed a long time before his accident. He was paralyzed by despair. He was paralyzed by hopelessness. He was paralyzed by sin. And maybe if someone said to him today, take up your bed and walk, he might take up that offer. But long before he had need of anybody to say that, he, he said to me and others, hey, your, your God can't save me. He's paralyzed by hopelessness. And, and some of you are too. You're paralyzed by a wound someone else gave you. You're, you're paralyzed by your own sinfulness. Can my heart be changed? You're paralyzed by the hopelessness of not understanding who Jesus Christ is. And he would say, you can take up your bed and walk in your sins can be forgiven because if Jesus says you're forgiven you're forgiven and if Jesus says you can walk you can walk and we read this and we're rightly amazed by it but has it occurred to us that in the book of Mark he's just getting started right he's going to heal the sick he's going to calm storms he's going to cast out demons he's going to raise the dead and then he's going to raise from the dead We've never seen anything like this and he is just getting started. And see today for some of you, you want your sins forgiven and he can forgive your sins. But let me just tell you, when he forgives your sins, he's just getting started. He'll transform your life. If he can forgive mine, he can forgive anybody. See, the reality of this is that knowing Jesus means you're not bound or identified by your wounds or however culture might try to identify you. Hey, aren't you that paralyzed guy? No, not anymore. I picked up my bed and I walked and my sins are forgiven. See, Jesus performed two miracles that day so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He performed two miracles. He said, pick up your bed and go home. But I gotta believe not just this guy, but others heard your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. July 16th this year will mark 30 years where on a really humid and hot and just gross Southeast Texas night among pine trees and mosquitoes at a youth camp. A friend looked at me and said, your biggest problem isn't that your dad left and your biggest problem isn't your anger and your biggest problem isn't lack of friends. Your biggest problem is that you need your sins forgiven, Chase. And he was right. And that moment, that moment I said yes to this one who could forgive sins. I'd never seen anyone like him and I still haven't. What you have to do to know Jesus is to know that you need him. He is a friend of sinners, but he's not a friend of the self-righteous. See, the story goes on. He went out again by the sea. Capernaum's this little seaside town and the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching the crowd. 
he passed by, he saw Levi or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He was a tax collector and Jesus looked at him of all people. He was a Herodian. He wasn't very religious. Nobody in Capernaum would have liked him because he took their money. Follow me. And Levi did the most remarkable thing. He stood up and he followed him. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. This is just the oddest thing that is happening because you got Matthew, who's a tax collector. Nobody likes him. He's not religious. He's in bed with the Romans. And then you got Simon the Zealot, Jesus is calling, who's a really religious guy who would hate tax collectors. And Jesus isn't just bringing them to God. He's bringing them together. You guys are going to be on the same team. You're going to be new best friends. You're going to be brothers. That guy? And many were following him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the question is, do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want your sins forgiven? Would you bow with me? And as you bow with me, just some questions I would ask to different groups of people in the room. I'll start with this. Do you have a friend who needs somebody to come alongside and pick up that pallet and walk up the stairs and dig through the roof to do whatever it takes to help them see Jesus? Do you have a friend who it's going to be hard for them to get to Jesus, but you're just going to say yes to the Lord. I'll be that faithful friend. I'll pick up that pallet and I'll get them there. I'll do all I can to help them see Jesus. Others of you, just as the redeemed, it's crazy that we can forget, but we can forget our sins have been forgiven. So what sort of gratefulness would overflow in us sharing this message of redemption. Our sins have been forgiven. And still others of you, you hear this message, you hear this truth. And maybe today for the first time, you know, I need my sins forgiven. So if you're asking today, Jesus Will you forgive my sins? Will you be my savior? His answer is yes, yes. And I'll change your whole life. If that's your prayer today, I'd love to talk to you today about what it means to follow this man who even forgives sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone, O Lord? Well, only you can, and Jesus, you did when you came and died to take the punishment for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer sin and death so that we could have life with you forever. So as we rejoice in this truth as believers that our sins are forgiven, God, give us boldness, courage, excitement, joy that overflows to tell people we've never seen anyone like this. And God, for my friends in this room who today would say, I want my sins forgiven. God, would you be faithful to forgive them? And would you put your Holy Spirit in them and give them 
eternal life that can never be taken away. Would you give them grace to trust in you in this moment, Lord? You're a good and gracious King. And we pray in your name. Amen.